I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This podcast contains sensitive topics and discussions. Listener discretion is advised. A young mother leaves her three children at home for a quick trip to the supermarket and vanishes. No one has heard from her since. This is the Tabitha Queen story. Amy, one of our listeners asked us to look at this case. And after researching some of the details and realizing that the mainstream media really has not given this case enough attention, I felt compelled to cover it for today's episode. And I'd also like to say that while this listener emailed me directly, and in the past we have gotten a lot of listener emails, we actually have a new form now on our website where listeners can suggest a case. So if you are interested in doing so, please visit the website. You can suggest a case and it automatically goes onto a list for us where we can review all of these cases. And we appreciate that as always. This case, though, as you know, Amy, and I've mentioned before, I'm very drawn to cases where women have gone missing and they just haven't received the national coverage that they should. I think that I just want to help inform people and I just want to give something to grieving families give a platform um, to their voices. And so I hope that this helps add to the coverage. I also think, Megan, what you bring up also sheds light on a much bigger issue that is in our society and the cases that the media portrays versus the cases they ignore. Don't think we won't be discussing that at the end of today's episode. When I was doing research on this, I only found, and granted, sometimes I'm not the best with looking at podcasts, but I could only find two that actually covered the case. One was Black Girl Gone, and the other one was our good friends Tim and Lance over at Missing. Oh, I didn't know that they covered this case. Oh, that's great. They certainly did. So again, hopefully our episode will add to the conversation and get others to share Tabitha's story as well. I'd like to give a big thank you to Jesse Bouchard for sharing this case with us and for being willing to speak with me directly. I also spoke with Tabitha's mother, Mary Lunsford for this episode. And, you know, she was pleased to see that we're covering it and she helped to fill in a lot of the blanks. 
You can see, if people are interested, you can see Mary doing interviews. If you could just Google the case, she'll speak with anyone who's interested in helping her find justice for her daughter. We sincerely hope that we can help Mary and Tabitha's children. And if anyone knows anything, please say something. You know, you never know what information could be an investigative lead. So at the end, we're going to provide contact information for any tips listeners may have. And thank you to our listeners and supporters who not only make it possible for us to keep bringing new episodes, but motivate us so much so to bring you important cases like this one. Now let's meet Tabitha Queen. Born to Mary Lunsford, Tabitha Queen was 29 years old at the time of the events we'll discuss today. Tabitha has a brother and a sister, and she was reportedly very close with her family. Mary describes Tabitha as a super friendly, outgoing woman who was extremely family-oriented and devoted to her children. Tabitha has two daughters and one son. Now, though she was born and raised in Greenville, Mississippi, Tabitha had friends and a boyfriend who moved to Bastrop, Louisiana, and so she moved there as well. Now, Bastrop, I didn't know it, so just for other people, it is in the northeast part of Louisiana, located pretty close to both the Mississippi and Arkansas borders. And historically, the town relied on farming, particularly cotton and rice for industry, as well as forestry and manufacturing. But when some of those industrial plants closed down a few decades ago, it plunged down to a town of just 10,000 people and into a poor economic state. Megan, did you say how old her children are? Are they grown children or are they young? They, they were young children. Okay. Her eldest, it's a good question. Her eldest was about 10 years old at the time of events here. Okay. And it's only a couple of years ago. So the industry changed in Bastrop. And now it's estimated that almost half of this predominantly black resident inhabited city lives in poverty. So that's a very high number that I think we should keep in mind. And unfortunately for the residents of this historically religious city located in Morehouse Parish, the crime rates are significantly higher than national averages, as well as higher than several other nearby cities. So what we are talking about here is an area that is living, at least half of the people, residents are living in poverty. And so there's a high crime rate. And unfortunately, Amy, we know that in a lot of places, poverty and crime go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I just wanted to give you a little background on the area Tabitha moved to. When Tabitha first arrived, she stayed with some friends on and off, but she got her own house in 2021. Unfortunately, though, her newfound home wouldn't last long. On May 10th, 2021, only one day after Mother's Day, Tabitha was doing a quick run to the grocery store, so she left her children at home with her 10-year-old in charge. You know, this was just a, mm -hmm. a quick run. My daughter's almost 10, and I feel comfortable just running out around the corner if I need to grab something from the store. I think that's a good point. I was going to mention to you, things are very different, right? Because I thought back, my mom left me alone during the summers when she went to work for a few hours. I was 10. That started the summer. I was 10. And I also started babysitting at like 11. Yeah, things are a little bit different. I'm not saying we're old, Megan, but <laughs> I... I think that when we were younger in the 80s, in the 90s, well, I guess you could say mostly in the 80s, being left alone at a young age wasn't frowned upon as much as it is today. No. But I still think it, you know, you know your children yeah. best. Also, though, every state has different laws. Yes. Like in New Jersey, where I live, there's no law regarding the age of a child if left alone. Some states say that children cannot be left alone under a certain age. Do you know what? I didn't know that. 
you know, I just found that out recently because I was concerned that maybe I shouldn't be leaving my children if I run to the store. So I wanted to look it up and make sure it oh, was wow, okay. That's very interesting and very helpful. Anyway, so yes, times have changed. I like how you said I don't I'm not saying we're getting old. The you save grocery store wasn't far away from Tabitha's home. And she popped over just to get a few things. And we know that's exactly where she went because she was captured on surveillance video leaving the store with what looked like two bags of groceries. But that's the last image of Tabitha captured to date that's been released to the public. When I say been released to the public, because there are times where police hold certain surveillance back for specific reasons. How far away was the grocery store? Did she walk there or she drive there? She drove there. It was close, though. Okay. It wasn't a far. It was not far away. Okay. But after this trip to the grocery store, Tabitha did not return home. And her children were left alone for two days before anyone discovered them. I know. But listen also to how this happened, Amy. When I spoke with Tabitha's mother, Mary, she said that Tabitha's 10-year-old daughter reported that while Tabitha was gone, a man came to their front door trying to get in the house what? very aggressively, but she wouldn't let him in. Eventually, the man left and the little girl ran to a neighbor's house and asked the neighbor to contact Mary, her grandmother. So I have to say, this is a very smart, capable and brave child. I mean, she's 10 years old. She had the wherewithal. Don't let anyone in. Wait, go contact my grandmother. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, but it's so sad to me that at this point, she didn't even realize her mother wasn't coming back. Here's what we know, and some of this can be found online, but a lot of what I gathered for today's episode, I did so from speaking with Tabitha's mother, Mary. According to Mary, Tabitha had been a victim of a violent crime just days before her disappearance. This is what Mary said. Tabitha went to a friend's home, and at this home, she was sexually assaulted and then robbed of the cash she was carrying. I don't know who the friend was, and I think Mary might have kept that information quiet for now for her own reasons, and there could be a myriad of reasons. Perhaps she doesn't want to get anyone in trouble for snitching because this might pose harm to someone else. Perhaps she's not ready to reveal this information because she's not certain of the involvement, or, you know, there could be other reasons. Megan, this crime was not reported? Well, here's what happened. After this assault, Tabitha did plan on reporting it to the police. And according to Mary, the man who assaulted her knew this. Uh-oh. Right. On Mother's Day, the day before Tabitha vanished, Mary says a few significant things happened in quick succession. First, Mary called Tabitha several times on Mother's Day without an answer. Eventually, she left her daughter a message saying that she better call her back immediately. She was concerned. Tabitha did not call back, though. So Mary called her again. Eventually, Tabitha picked up the phone, but it was apparent she was in her car and not alone. According to Mary, she could hear at least one, but more likely two male voices in the background. And Tabitha was very quick to get off the phone, which was unusual for her, saying, I have to go and hanging up. Mary thought this was out of character, but what she found out later was much scarier. Apparently on that same day, Amy, a van pulled up in front of Tabitha's house and a man attempted to kidnap her, but was unsuccessful. According to who? Yeah. I don't know the full details, but this was reported by more than one person. It might have been a friend, a neighbor, her daughter. We're not sure who, but it was reported. This this is documented. And so you have these events that happen on this day. And then the very next day, the grocery store surveillance footage was the last time Tabitha was seen. 
So what can we surmise from all of this? You look like you have so many questions. It, it just seems, it seems clear that there's a person of interest. Megan, although Mary or Jesse may be aware of who this man is that had assaulted Tabitha before she went missing, does law enforcement know his identity? Yes, they do. They do. And you can hold tight okay. for that information a little bit okay. later on. They do, in fact, okay. yes. What can we make of all this? Well, I can also tell you that Mary has recordings from people who claim that Tabitha's attacker admitted to them that he abducted her after he attacked her. I was surprised to um, hear Mary say that she had recordings. So I also asked our listener, Jesse, about this. And Jesse very clearly confirmed that indeed they have recordings from multiple people who know the perpetrator and said he admitted his crimes to them directly. I'm assuming that he was taped without his knowledge? That's correct. And these tapes were also turned over to the police, just so you know. And this man, just so you know, is currently incarcerated on unrelated charges, but not for much longer. And Mary believes that the police agree with her on who she feels is responsible for kidnapping her daughter. But perhaps there's just not enough evidence yet to get a conviction. You know, we never quite know what's going on behind the scenes. And we have to remember also that this is a case that happened two years ago. And law enforcement takes some time in building a case. So perhaps they are building a case with some of this information. Has law enforcement been in touch with the family, though, to inform them that that they are, in fact, still investigating and building a case? Or has the family been ignored by law enforcement? I think that Mary would say that she feels a bit ignored, but there has been some contact. At this point, too, Amy, I have to say, sadly, Mary is pretty certain that Tabitha is not alive, believing that her kidnapper killed her after the abduction in the grocery store parking lot. Do they believe it was more than one perpetrator? For now, it's not known if it was more than one, okay. but it seems clear who the one you know, central perpetrator is. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And while it was very sad for me to hear that Mary is very certain that Tabitha is not alive, I also believe she is correct. As we know from other cases we've covered, the longer someone remains missing, the lower the probability is that they're alive. So this, I think, at this point is more about solving the case and bringing those to justice who are responsible for Tabitha's death, whether or not it is one perpetrator or more. I also think, look, families always want to bring their family members' remains home so they can properly mourn and have a place to visit them and memorialize them. So I think that's what it's about at this point. Mm -hmm. But- there's something interesting could be because there might also be another suspect in this case. You see, there was a man named Cornelius Whitfield that Tabitha was casually involved with who asked to borrow her car. But when he returned it, Tabitha noticed a very bad smell. And when she looked in the back of the car where the spare tire would be, there was a very large blood stain. Yes, I see your face. <laughs> This is someone she had been dating for a while or it was a new relationship? No, and it was a casual relationship, just, just to be clear. Okay. And so what happened when she found this was that an argument ensued between Tabitha and Cornelius in the driveway, which Tabitha's oldest daughter overheard. So according to the 10-year-old, Cornelius threatened to kill Tabitha. And this happened only a few days before Tabitha went missing. Crazy, right? And this individual is not affiliated with the other person of interest, as far as we know? Well, according to Mary, they do know each other somewhat. Oh, so now we have two people who might have reason to harm her. That's correct. This was sort of a bombshell. And I asked Mary because it seemed to me, well, maybe it seems more likely that he's the perpetrator. But 
For whatever her reason, she does not believe that Cornelius is the one directly responsible for harming Tabitha. But yes, she did acknowledge that they are acquaintances, maybe somewhat friendly with each other. Did she say why she does not believe that it's this gentleman versus the other one? Because the other gentleman was recorded multiple times admitting to exactly perpetrating the crime. So I think that it seemed like he had more of a motive. Okay. But who knows? We have no idea if there was any type of collusion here. Mm -hmm. And what about that blood stain? So when I asked Mary about the blood stain, she told me that Cornelius was later named as the killer of a local security guard. And it was Tabitha's car he used in some way in the commission of this crime. Well, so for this, I just want you to know, I was like, I I have to, you know, I, I tried researching as much as possible. I was able to corroborate this with a few articles that 39 year old off duty security guard Bobby Rose, father of three and soon to be a police officer, was shot and killed on May 9th, 2021. And the police had, in fact, issued an arrest warrant for Cornelius Whitfield. But he was not charged with the crime as far as we know. I could not find anything other than the arrest warrant was issued. And I also asked Jesse and she said that's all she saw to date as well. Maybe he disappeared. Not sure what happened there. But this is some corroboration. But what have investigators again been doing on Tabitha's case? Could Cornelius be involved even if he wasn't the actual perpetrator, as you said? Well, the police had one piece of evidence they released to the public about a month after Tabitha's disappearance. And this was a surveillance video of a man getting out of Tabitha's car. The surveillance video, Amy, shows a black male driving and parking Tabitha's car before exiting the vehicle on foot. The surveillance is from the day of June 9th, 2021. So for, you know, frame, for context here, this is about a full month later than Tabitha went missing. Now, the car was parked next to a garage on a street with dumpsters, and it looked to me like some maybe manufacturing businesses. But the area located on West Pine Street in Bastrop does not seem like a residential one, which would make sense because you probably wouldn't dump someone's car if you're trying Mm -hmm. to keep attention off of it near residences. Mm -hmm. You can observe a very big parking lot and no other vehicles. So again, maybe more of a desolate area. And while it's always helpful, always great to have surveillance video, I'm not sure exactly how helpful this one will be. The quality isn't great because the camera is quite a distance away and it's very grainy and it's very short. It's brief. I can tell you when I I encourage you to look at it, I encourage everyone else to look at it, but When I do, all I can make out is that it's clearly a black male who parked the vehicle. He looks thin to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I would say smaller in stature, but thinner. He was dressed in jeans and a white T-shirt. And after he abandoned the vehicle, he quickly headed eastbound on foot. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean he's unrecognizable, especially to someone who might know him. You know, you might be able to pick up quickly if it's someone you know. At the time the video hit the local news, community searchers were urging city residents who might recognize the man's walk, build, etc. to come forward and report it. It was nice to see that there was some community support. There were a couple of men who really organized searches. Uh, I know a local resident, Amy, put up like a thousand dollar reward for any information. The people in the community very clearly cared and wanted to help Tabitha's family. 
You know, the video reminded me of the video that police released in the Delphi murder case. You know, the case that's two young girls. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you know it. But Libby and Abby, who were viciously murdered in Delphi, Indiana in 2017. I guess the two were found after they took a hike on an uncharacteristically warm day for the season. And police released part of this video, if you recall, of a man walking behind them. Now, the police had longer video. For whatever reasons, they chose only to release part of it. It was brief as well. It was a little closer up, though. So in that case, the walk and the size and the clothing was more apparent. But that was the point. Remember, he had a specific walk, Mm -hmm. the perpetrator in that. And so I guess they are hoping for the same thing, that you might recognize the way the gait, the stand, the walk, the way he carries himself. But in the Delphi one, fortunately, there was more to be gleaned from it. So you're telling me that the video did not bring in any tips? So far, the surveillance hasn't seemed to be enough. But we're hoping that for anyone who views it now, seeing the date and location might spark a memory. And if it does, it's not too late to report it to the police. Megan, is there somewhere that we can view that video? That's a good question, Amy. For listeners who do want to find it, we have a courtroom and evidence playlist on our YouTube channel, so you can find it there if you'd like to view this footage. As far as other evidence, we don't have much, Amy, but I will say that news reports claim that the police also found a black handgun in a trash bag in a wooded area approximately one mile from where Tabitha's car was found. Unfortunately, the owner of the gun has not been identified to date, and I'm not really sure what evidence that would be in an area that is also high in crime. And if it's high in crime, probably has guns, I would say, you know, that might even be a stretch linking the gun to this crime. But that's all the evidence we have to date. So it's not great, but it's certainly solvable, especially when you do possibly have confessions. There are leads. There are at least two suspects. And that really brings us to current day. Megan, this sounds like the kind of case where there's hope. And I believe that they will solve this as long as they continue taking it seriously. And I think it's important that Tabitha's loved ones are publicizing this as much as they can. Yes. And putting pressure on police to solve this crime. I agree. I think this is solvable. I think that the more we learn and the more we disseminate the information about this case, the more attention it will receive. So I We hope this episode helps in some small way. Megan, do we know are her children with her mother? Yes. So that's what I was going to let you know where we are today. Oh, okay. So Tabitha's disappearance devastated her family. And, you know, her mother is open to doing interviews and anything else that might help locate Tabitha. But fortunately, Tabitha's children did go to live with Mary, who is clearly a very strong, capable role model for her grandchildren. Though, of course, she can never replace Tabitha. But yes, the children are doing pretty well with her. And while we don't have every detail about Tabitha's abduction and I believe subsequent murder, I do think that we can attempt to explain it and discuss why this happens, especially to young black females and why they don't maybe get the attention they deserve. Okay, so it might seem a little harder to explain why this happened to Tabitha, given that we don't definitively know the suspect or what his background may be, but I'm going to work off of the information Mary provided and try to profile this offender a bit. So first I can say I'm pretty sure that he's a serial offender, or as we would say, a career criminal. I'm not calling him a serial killer. I'm saying a serial offender. I would say he most likely has a very versatile criminal history that would include theft, robbery, assault, sexual assault, and murder. 
His criminal offending likely began at a pretty young age, but would be lifelong if not caught and incarcerated. So I would say for the periods where he's incarcerated, offending might desist or it might continue while in prison. We know that crimes happen behind bars as well. However, I believe this individual, if it's one of the two that Mary discussed, would be very afraid if he knew that Tabitha, a seemingly strong woman, intended to report him for some very serious crimes. So I think this would drive this person to really, you know, want have a motive to keep Tabitha quiet. And I think the only way he would think to do that would be to make sure that Tabitha was not physically able to report this crime. Mm hmm. And so without knowing the full background of the offender, I think it's pretty clear that it was a violent career offender who was going to be looking at some serious time, if not just for the offense alone, but because of his previous criminal history, I would bet he'd be looking at very hard time. Yeah. And it was I think we could say it was clearly premeditated. Oh, yes, absolutely premeditated. I mean, I think no matter what, you're looking at these abduction attempts. And you know what I, I meant to bring up when I forgot? And it's very important. After Tabitha was gone, this man went to her home. Do you know why? I think he thought the children were witnesses. And I'm not entirely sure that he wasn't intending to harm her children. Well, it seems like this individual was stalking Tabitha, waiting till she left the home. So maybe they purposely waited for her to not be around the children. I would wonder if this person went back to just see if there's any police activity or, you know, how sometimes we see offenders just check out, you know, the investigation. But he tried to get in the home and this would have been after he abducted Tabitha. Yeah, that's scary for the children. Yeah. Or there is a possibility that it was the second possible suspect in an unrelated crime and was also attempting to get to her children. Either way, it's terrifying for her children, I think. Mm -hmm. Or did, maybe that second individual didn't know that she had already been harmed and he was looking to harm her himself. It's possible. There was a yeah. threat all around. Very scary situation. So having explained a little bit about why the motives here, it seems clear no matter who the suspect is that it was a premeditated crime by a violent offender who needed to keep Tabitha quiet. But I think we should also discuss victimization here, not just the the offender motivation. Well, I can tell you, and I think we do know this, that black women are disproportionately likely to be victims of intimate partner violence, sexual assault and homicide. But why? Because they don't historically have a voice in our society. They're a vulnerable population. A lot of the vulnerability, as we teach in our classes, also comes from the economic and social marginalization that not only black women face, but black men face. So when we teach about strain and when we teach about cultural theory, we talk about how black males have been you know, shut out of mainstream society in many ways in terms of opportunities. So this is classic strain theory, right? They face a strain because of this marginalization and because they can't attain success in a mainstream America. Uh, which is unfortunately a reality in many urban minority populated areas. But the strain then frustrates them and also attributes to this loss of masculinity, as a lot of males see it. So they turn to physical violence and abuse in ways we see it happen in street crimes where it's perpetrated against other males and it's all about respect. So violence through respect. But it's also the same in the home where they're perpetrating crimes against their partners it's a show of masculinity and expression of their frustration. And again, it does become about violence as some form of respect. 
which I know you teach about as well. Yes, I talk I talk a lot about these themes in my race and crime class. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. But minority women are also less likely to report sexual assault. So we're talking about, you know, intimate partner violence. So what are some of the why are some of the reasons? Do you also talk about this? Oftentimes, because of the way black women are viewed, they are not taken seriously yeah. or maybe they'll seem as blameworthy. They might be embarrassed. Yeah. And all of these reasons, we see a lot of times why victims don't come forward, but it's definitely more salient among um, women of color. Yeah, that's true. A lot of the reasons that women don't report sexual assaults, absolutely, among, you know, all, uh, I would say, races and classes. But yes, with my minority females, there is definitely more of a mistrust and maybe a fear of law enforcement. And also a fear of retaliation. Yes, there's a fear of retaliation and sometimes cultural expectations to keep business private. Yes. So there are so many factors that play into the reason why a reason why victimization among black females continues at a higher rate in our society. And when it comes to homicide, many of these same reasons apply, but the reality is that the higher homicide rate is usually due to deaths from domestic violence as well. So I just wanted to take a moment to explain why, you know, black females are victimized more in our society. Let's talk about the system now. When we discuss whether the system got it right, we're usually talking about whether there was justice, whether someone was apprehended, um, whether procedures were followed. But in this case, the individual or individuals responsible for Tabitha's disappearance have not been apprehended that we know of. They have not been tried in a court of law. They have not been convicted. And so we don't exactly have an answer. I would be very curious just to know what evidence the police have retrieved from Tabitha's car. Now, remember, we talked about this vehicle. Amy, I would be very surprised if they did not find DNA in it, fingerprints, something that they are not sharing. I don't think this was such a perfectly sophisticated operation that if the person driving the car wasn't wearing gloves the entire time, if there were other people in the vehicle, if the perpetrator possibly was, you know, the person who borrowed her car, don't you think they would have found something? Don't you think they're working with something? I think that there's stuff going on behind the scenes, and I would expect this case to be solved soon. Yeah, I would really hope so. Perhaps there's a reason why police are keeping that information quiet. As we said before, there are reasons why police don't release all information. They could be working to build a case, but they don't want to tip off the offender, right? So mm -hmm. I would remind everyone that it is still only two years. This is not exactly a cold case, so we can hope that police are really working it. I would just hope that the police give the family the information they need to at least assure them that they are working towards solving this case. Right now, I can tell you they don't have that information, but I would agree. I, I would hope that they would work more with the family, especially Mary. I'd also like to take a moment to discuss the system in terms of the media. So when we say the system, we're usually talking about the criminal justice system, but what about the entire system that disseminates information about these cases? The media hasn't picked up this case like they did with Jennifer Dulos or more recently, Anna Walsh. Uh, I know you've probably seen that case as well. So these are missing mothers that we've seen. And I, I think they should have all the media attention, but mm -hmm. we're not giving equal attention to Tabitha Queen. Had you ever heard of Tabitha Queen before I brought you this episode? No, Megan, I have not, nor have I heard of the other women of color that we have covered on this podcast. 
I mean, you know, I always go back to Lavina Johnson. Yes, ma'am. I cannot believe the lack of coverage in that case. You know, we had a listener write into us with some information, some updates. Did you see that? I know. Yeah. I did see that. And we might have to do an update, but there's still a lot of information to come, I think. Oh, yeah. So I'm holding off a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I just thought of that now, though, because I remember reading the emails this morning. Yeah. And I remember when we reported on the Prisma Reyes case as well. You yep. know, they're just... These women need the same voice. So let's urge other podcasters to cover this story. And again, she has a family. Mary is willing to speak. So please, let's get involved. Just to wrap things up, though Mary feels certain that Tabitha is no longer with us, and I suspect that she is correct, there is always a chance, right? And even if in Tabitha's case, she is not alive. Her family still deserves very much to have her remains, as we said earlier, mm -hmm. to mourn her appropriately. I also think it's important for Tabitha's family, of course, to have her remains to give her the proper burial that she deserves. But just for closure for her children, for her family, for her loved ones to just know to just know what happened to her and hopefully bring someone to justice. I agree. And for all of those reasons, we'd like to give out some information about Tabitha. Tabitha Queen is a black female, approximately five foot four and weighing about 200 pounds. She has black hair and brown eyes. Tabitha has a scar on her left arm. She has the following tattoos. The word legend on her chest, stars on one arm, and another tattoo somewhere on her body of masks and the words laugh now, cry later. Tabitha would be 31 years old this year. If you have any information about Tabitha, even if you think it is insignificant, please contact the Bastrop Police Department at 318-281-1322. But before we go today, we'd like to take an opportunity as well to answer some questions from supporters. Yeah, Megan, we have two questions okay. today. Do you want to go first? Uh, yes. So from a supporter who wanted to remain anonymous, they ask, do you believe that justice can ever be found in the courtroom? I think this is a great question. We often talk about the system not working and what happens in a court with plea bargaining and, you know, bail amounts that people can't afford and the coercion. I think that justice can be found in the courtroom, but I don't think it's always found in the courtroom. Do you know? And, and oftentimes I don't think it is. Oftentimes I think that justice has a way it has to be attained outside of the criminal justice system. And we've said that a lot of times on our shows. It's a sad reality because of our broken system. I also think justice is similar to the idea of closure in that there is really no one definition. It's a subjective measure. What I consider justice is different than what you consider justice. So really justice is in the hands of the individual who has been violated or victimized. Yeah. So for some people, having an offender being found guilty by a jury and then sentenced, that's justice for other people. Even what happens in the courtroom, it's not justice. It might be justice when they're given some sort of restitution or when they sit down with the offender. That's a great point, Amy. Thank you. And a great question. We have another question, Amy, right? Yes. And this question that I'm going to read is a little more lighthearted. We always love when we get these. And this person wants to know what our favorite comedy movie of all time was. So let's because I think we've talked about our favorite crime shows probably and crime documentaries, but this person wants to know what movies make us laugh. And you know mine. It's got to be Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I love Forgetting Sarah Marshall so much that just the thought of it is making me laugh. 
And I also love Couples Retreat. Oh, I love that one too. Love. Okay, so Couples Retreat is on my list. And I love Garden State. It's it's more of a drama comedy, but I think there's so much like dry humor. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Dating yourself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. No. Date myself. <laughs> I also love Couples Retreat. I think Four Christmases is hilarious and I watch it every Christmas. Poor James. Still never saw it. And- Probably my favorite, though, like favorite comedy is This Is 40. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's like hands It's down so good. And obviously, obviously, all of the Judd Apatow movies yeah. are amazing. So it's hard to pick one. But I have to tell you another movie that I've been binging with my children, Beverly Hills Chihuahua 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> they are so, they're cute. They're really funny. Have you watched them? They're so funny. Believe it or not, I've seen it and I was really cynical or skeptical about it, but so funny. I agree. Yeah. I would like to thank the listener for the lighthearted question. Um, it's a nice way to end today's yes, episode. Thank you. All right. It is. Thank you so much. And Megan, thank you very much for shining a light on Tabitha's case. And I really hope that we see, I really hope that we see some justice for Tabitha's family and hopefully we'll be bringing everyone an update. I hope so as well. Thank you, Amy. And thank you everyone for listening today. We'll see you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash women in crime. Sources for today's episode include KNOE News, an interview with Mary Lunsford, the Institute for Women's Policy Research, The Charlie Project, and CityData.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.